This podcast was prepared by Ashley and Martell in her personal capacity. The opinions expressed in this show are the host's own and do not reflect the views of any of their personal affiliations. Episode 27. You know, I almost forgot. I almost forgot it was we was what number we was on. So I'm glad you shouted that out. Listen, I've been keeping track of the numbers because if I didn't, I'd lose track too. So yes, this is episode 27. It is your girl, Ashley. No, and it's your boy, Pierre Defecto. This is Black Political Millennials. Yes, and we are coming at y'all strong with these interviews for the upcoming Pennsylvania primaries on May 18th. Actually, today that we're recording is the last day that folks can register to vote. So hopefully you're going to hear this after the deadline. So I hope y'all registered, changed your registration status. If not, we talking about you. And uh, also, we've got a very special guest for this episode uh, we've got a real serious school board race going down in the city of Pittsburgh. We've got a bunch of seats open and we've got none other than Camille Scantling, who is running for PPS District 7. The Camille. The. <laughs> Hello. Look, I'm just excited about this episode because I've been talking to Camille about running for office for years. And I just knew I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> Look at us. Where are we at now? Listen, life, life changes, okay? <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. So, you know, I, I, school board for me is like just a, a real, you know, I got a real personal um connection and care about what's been happening in public schools. So although in our state of PA school board is an unpaid volunteer um, elected position, it also is one of, in my opinion, the most important um, elected positions that folks can take on. And so I'm really excited to see you stepping up and running Camille because it takes these kind of um, moments for people to actualize and see themselves and being able to take hold of um, positions that literally prepares our future. So um, big ups to you and, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Who is Camille? We know Camille. Let the people know. I don't know who I am. So, I know. <laughs> so I'm Camille Scantling. I am running for Pittsburgh Public School School Director for District 7 um, in the city of Pittsburgh before making the decision to run for school board. And actually still to this, to this very moment, um, I am running my business, Cocopreneur, which is the Black business consultancy um, that caters specifically to the economic and entrepreneurial needs of Black folks specifically in the greater Pittsburgh region. Uh, the cornerstone of Cocopreneur is the Cocopreneur Directory, which houses um, and features Black-owned businesses in this region. Um, in addition to that, I'm co-founder of Greenwood Week Pittsburgh, which is um, basically an almost like an auxiliary piece to Cocopreneur. They go very much hand in hand. Uh, Greenwood Week is the uh, actual kind of application of all the things that we kind of preach through Cocopreneur. So we help people navigate entrepreneurship through Greenwood Week. Uh, so teaching folks things, helping create networks amongst other entrepreneurs, uh, 
giving people resources and letting them letting them know of resources that exist in the region. Uh, on top of that, I'm also a mother too. Um, my kids are seven years old and four years old. Um, I'm affianced to be married soon. So all those things all go into um, part of who I am. And then I'm, I'm just a overall philanthropist, not, not in a monetary sense, but in a monetary sense too. Um, you know, I did raise $100,000 last year during COVID for Black Business Relief. Uh, but before I considered that philanthropy, my philanthropy came through time and energy. So giving up my time and my energy to anybody who needs it, which also lends to why I'm running for school board now. Did that answer you? I feel like that was very wordy, lots of words. No, you did. And I was going to actually tap in a little bit more. Can you tell us how you how you got here to Pittsburgh and, you know, um, just 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 the I want to say the why, but, you know, from your experience prior to college and then coming here to Pittsburgh, um, I want one want you to share the time, you know, how long it's been, you know, right. what you what you've gone through, because here we are um, in 2021. And yes, you're running for school board, but you've set some roots here in the city. And I, I want to hear I want you to share that with the people. That's actually a really good question, like the timeline question, because. It is, it is a full circle type of um, story, if you want to call it a story, but it's my life. So I grew up in East Orange, New Jersey, um, a very Black place for all intents and purposes, Black mayor, Black principals, Black teachers, Black business owners. Um, I saw Black people do well. I saw Black people struggle, had a very holistic view of Blackness, um, and it helped me realized, even though I didn't know that at the time, but it helped me realize that we're human beings and we can occupy any space at any time. Um, but in my elementary years, my school district renamed all of the schools in our district from the typical, you know, presidents, Lincoln, uh, Roosevelt, et cetera, to influential Black people from the area. So, you know, we had the Whitney Houston Academy, we had the Quincy Jones Academy of Music, we had the Cicely Tyson School, of performing arts. Um, and then my elementary school was renamed to the Dion Warwick Institute of Economics and Entrepreneurship. So again, took it for granted at the time, meant nothing to me at the time, but in elementary school, we had these um, market days where in the gym, they would set up tables and students could create their own businesses. And we had these Warwick dollars uh, where we could, you know, as you, either uh, did good deeds in school, got good grades in school, just you know, had overall good behavior, you could win Warwick Bucks and then spend them at the marketplace. So they started teaching us about economics very early on and we weren't exchanging real money. You know, It was um, our own economic system that we had created in the school. So you know that that's with me as I move through life. And then, and when I'm in the eighth grade, my parents open um, a beauty supply. So that is my firsthand look at entrepreneurship, like being in my parents' store till midnight in the summertime as they set up shelves and price things. And, you know, it just felt really good to be in that space, like to watch people create um, something of their own, like to build this thing and labor in it um, in a loving way, you know, not in an obligatory way, but something that feels good to labor in. I got to see that in my middle school years. Then when I was in high school, I worked in my parents' store. I was 
the unofficial manager, right? Like we had someone in there who worked in the store and even he as an adult would default to me when there was a grievance, like talk to the manager and I'd be like, sir, I'm 17. Um, but, you know, I took so much pride in it being my parents' place that it did feel like mine. And I did take responsibility for, you know, someone getting the wrong product or um, maybe it was a customer, <coughs> excuse me, a customer incident, but assuming the responsibility as the business owner, you know. Then I came to Pitt in 2005 as freshman and was totally culture shocked at uh, the state of black life here. Because again, I came from a place where I got to see black people do well. And um, from what I could see, be free, right? So just make choices and do things. And when I came to Pittsburgh at the University of Pittsburgh, I was more or less told, you know, be careful when you go to the Hill District or be careful when you go to East Liberty or Homewood or whatever the case may be. And I found that when I actually went to those places, I felt most at home. So, you know, I was very... Um, I guess, suspicious of the way Black people were treated um, in the region. And it, it kind of turned me off for a long time. I was very much turned off to the city of Pittsburgh to the point where I thought, I just like, yeah, when I get this degree, I'm out, <laughs> like gone. Um, and for whatever reason, I could not leave. I tried a couple times, I wound up back here. Um, I came back for, I left in 2011. My grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I wanted to be close to her in the event that she did pass. So I went home to be close to my family. My grandmother's breast cancer went to remission, thank goodness. And then I was like, um, all right, like my parents are cool, but I don't really want to live here. Um, <laughs> the cost of living is different in Jersey as compared to, you know, Pittsburgh. Uh, so I wound up getting my old job back. Also, love called me back. So I wound up back in Pittsburgh in 2012. Long story short, um, once I realized that I would be here, I kind of, you know, went 10 toes down and said, if I'm going to live in this region, it has to be what I want it to be for myself and my family. And with that, um, I hooked up with uh, Nazura, who many of you know, mm -hmm. um, as a community leader, as a sister, as a mother figure, just as an overall lover of her people. And we came up with this Black Dollars Matter campaign where we stamped money, not on the face of the serial number in case anybody is trying to, we didn't deface the money, <laughs> but uh, we had to give people options for where to go to spend this money if we were asking them to spend money. So I started the social media page for Cocopreneur. <clears throat> and then from there, people started to really dig in. Like, um, you know, you shared this thing a month ago, where can I find it? And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm tidy all in my DMs. This needs to be public information. And at the time, what used to be the uh, Pittsburgh Black Business Directory that everybody knew uh, Connie Porter's for had been retired. So she had retired from doing that and nobody was really keeping up with the directory. So I decided to pick that up, start the Cocopreneur directory and that kind of leads us to you know what, what it is today. But with that same thing in mind, thinking about what type of place I wanna live in, um, taking more control of my environment, seeing the fallout from 
2020 and COVID-19 response for Pittsburgh Public Schools, in addition to a couple of years of um, talk about the inadequacies in the district, I was pushed to run for school board for my kids and all the kids of the region, understanding that they were being disserviced in a, a, a really um, almost inhumane way. And I did what I do when I get frustrated or irritated or upset enough with something and I rolled my sleeves up and I decided to get my hands dirty. So that's how we got here to this very moment where we are today. Um, again, very lengthy story, but that, you know, it's, it's, there's a ton of things that go into this. Like, it's not just, I decided one day, you know what, I'm a run for school board. Like it took, it was a lot that went into the decision to do that. And I also understand how important education is even for economics and entrepreneurship. Like, you know, so all these things are totally connected and that kind of leads to how we got to where we are at this very moment. Look, I just, it's, it's the experience for me. Um, <laughs> and just even, I think, I don't know if I've heard the full story. I knew like, you know, the name changes of the schools back in Jersey, but like what I loved about you sharing that story and when people listen to it, that kind of stuff happens at the school board level. That's what happens when you have people who are committed to really serving the students so that they can see um, bigger than what, uh, what I'm trying to be uh, diplomatic and you know appropriate than what these systems that were created to make us fail want us to see. That's mm -hmm. the intention of doing the complete opposite of that and wanting young people to recognize that this may be an avenue here, but you don't have to be like that. You know, there's other ways of being and it's like, you, you just don't know until you know. Um, so I just really appreciate that story because as people listen to this and why we do Black Political Millennials is because we're not trying to talk over people's heads. We want people to actually know that our votes and the people that we put into these positions really does have power. But if we don't recognize that, we keep people there who um, are there for self. And so we and get- You don't have to be extraordinary. You do not have to be degreed and- I have a, a, a bachelor's degree from the University of Pittsburgh and I really did not need that to do this work either. Like that, the work that I do, I mean, I guess it is connected, but it is absolutely work that I could have gotten through experience. Mm -hmm. Like you do not have to be super credentialed to run for school board or many of these offices. You really just have to have a passion in the heart. Like you can figure something out with the quickness. All you really need is somebody to either walk you through it and show you where to go or you have to have like the resiliency and the resourcefulness in yourself to figure things out. This, this stuff is not extraordinary at all. Yep. So I, um, I've been on your, on your website. Um, just, you know, just trying to catch up and, and, and see what I, the priorities were. So I had, there was one thing that really stuck out to me, Camille, that I hope you could kind of um, expound on, I thought was dope, is a school to success pipeline. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that goes into what you were just talking about, Ash, about young people seeing seeing more than they see. Um, so could you definitely, you know what I mean, share some, share the, the vision of that with the people, because that, that sounds like something very special. Yeah, so we many of us know the term school to prison pipeline, right? Just uh, basically saying that the schools 
condition our students for a life in captivity, a life in prison, right? Very busy walls, you walk in a straight line, you raise your hand, you speak when spoken to, just like a prison. The school to success pipeline is conditioning our students for success through independent thinking, through critical thinking, through freedom of movement and thought. Um, also through very holistic approaches to education. So we know as adults, uh, especially once you start working and you start a family and you start moving around the world, especially as a black person, a world that is very anti-black, therapy comes into place. Mental health supports start coming into place. Um, having all those things as part of our school systems is part of this school to success pipeline. Mm -hmm. On top of that, in a very practical and applicable way, we have a ton of resources in our region. We have, what is it, the, the largest per capita philanthropic organ, like it's a ton of money in this region. There are a ton of resources in this region. We have a Google headquarters in our city. You know, we have, what, six universities in like a five mile radius. We should be able to set our kids up to do anything, literally anything they're interested in through our school system so that when they leave the doors, they are prepared to walk into whatever is next for them. If they need further education, we should be able to set them up right in our region with universities they can go to or help them expand and go anywhere in the country or the world that they wanna go to school. Those are things that should happen in our school buildings. If our students want to go into the trades and they want to be a mechanic or a plumber, we should absolutely be able to tap into our small business community, bring them into our schools and have students get that experience so they can just get into it. Like we can just walk them through where they need to be instead of throwing them out to the wolves, right? So that, that school to success pipeline is about setting the kids up exactly where they need to be Mm -hmm. um, and opening up the possibilities to them. Like even when I think about in District 7, we have Carrick High School, right? There are seven AP classes in Carrick High School compared to like 29 at some other high schools, mm -hmm. right? What does it look like to give the students more opportunities through their advanced placement classes? What does it look like for their career technical education to not only include the trades and the beauty industry, but to include robotics and engineering. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do we make sure to expand the possibilities for the students so they get a more holistic view of what they can do in this world, which is literally anything, mm -hmm. right? So how do we just make sure to provide them? And, and part of this really goes into asking them to literally ask them what they want to do and then implementing those things. But for me, I want to hear what it is that you want and then deliver I, like I always do, right? Like what I do right now, I, I ask people what they want um, and then I deliver what they're asking for. So that's what I'm looking for, uh, looking forward to bringing to the school board as well. Was that clear, y'all? I want to make sure. No, we're that was, to make that sure was crystal. Clear. That was crystal clear. That was, <laughs> that was fantastic. That was, that was definitely everything we need in our schools you know that's that's something we need in our communities that's something we need in our villages you know what i mean so i'm i'm also glad to be able to get the background of your experience your personal lived experience and like how that connects to your point of view 
You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's dope to get that other side of it. So I appreciate, I appreciate the robust answers. You know what I mean? Thank I want to add something to this too, right? Because I think a lot of the times when we get into political races, there's a lot of, um, I would do this or I will do that. Mm-hmm. Y'all, when I tell you I do this every day, every day, if I need an audience with somebody at the city of Pittsburgh, I have it. Mm-hmm. If I need an audience with somebody with Allegheny County, I have it. If I need an audience with somebody at Google or UPMC or Allegheny Health Network or RK Mellon, or I have it now at this very moment. You understand what I'm saying? So everything that I'm talking about doing is work that I've already put into place in order to be able to do this. Yeah. Um, favor that I've like kind of gathered over the years through Cocopreneur puts me right in the place that I need to be in order to deliver, like deliver everything that I'm talking about for the worries you better talk about the the networking and the connections and being able to tap into the places that you know um should and can be a resource for our um our community our kids our 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 public school system um you you made a point and of course it's slipping my mind right now as you know how you start talking and then the thought just like it just goes away um but you were talking what were you saying you were just talking about your connections in the community and connections with oh to making your point about you know the work that you've already done but what i also wanted to pull out and in in hearing you give your um perspective is how you would you as one person on a school board you you have to work with your counterparts so coming into a space like this you are um working with some other candidates that are also running for office can you talk about how you see collaboration internally and externally because both of those are important and i know just from my personal experience, a lot of times people have these expectations of what they want, but they have to recognize that as being one person on an elected governing body, it takes five votes. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have five votes, you ain't getting nowhere. And please believe I've been on a five-four split and I was on the fourth side. Okay, it's not fun. So um, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that and just the way you navigate in those kind of spaces. Yeah, so uh, for anybody listening, I'm currently a part of a slate called Black Women for a Better Education, uh, where there are four additional candidates beside myself who are running for the other four open seats. So there's five open seats right now for Pittsburgh Public Schools. In a perfect world, we all win, right? Which would make it um, a lot easier to get things done because we at the very least have the same values and um, see very similarly on a lot of the issues, right? So it, it wouldn't be hard to communicate the benefits of what we discussed because we generally do see eye to eye on that. However, that's not always going to be the case. Um, and I think when it comes to this, I would like to think that my communication skills will lend to the board, right? For me, I understand the, the benefit of communicating to somebody how they benefit from what I'm saying. Um, I, I, we can talk about how it benefits the students and the teachers and yada, yada, yada. Sometimes people need to know how it's going to benefit me. Like, sis, bruh, you get to say that you were on the board that did this. You get to say that you get to claim this win if we do this thing the right way, right? So really being able to communicate to people how it benefits 
not only the students, the teachers, the principals, the region, but how it benefits them, right? And then the other part of it is really stressing to people that we do not, because there's a concept that I've heard uh, about um, boards similar to this one, like being, you know, a team of nine. Yes, you are a team. That does not mean that you have to agree on everything. And you have to understand that when people agree with you, it doesn't mean they don't like you, right? It doesn't mean that it's a personal vendetta, even though it might be, but you know, that's not what it's saying. We have to start looking at accountability as an act of love. Like when I'm telling you that what you're saying is going to be detrimental to the students or to anybody else, it is not me saying that you're a terrible person. It is me telling you that you may run into trouble with this. And I'm trying to save you from whatever this is you're discussing. So really this is an, an act. Cause even when we talk about, cause I've been in a position where somebody has called me up and say, you know, I think that what you're doing is cool, but I'm concerned about, you know, erasure of Pittsburgh history because I'm a transplant, right? So I said, okay, got you. I'll, I'll adjust. No ill feelings, no real kind of back and forth. As the person who occupies this space that I do not, I cannot tell you how to feel about something and I can't tell you you're wrong. It hurts me none to make the adjustment for you. So I'll do that, right? That was an act of love through that accountability, right? If I can avoid being uh, put in the lump of uh, Pittsburgh transplants <laughs> that, you know, eat and take away from Pittsburgh, you know, natives, I'm all with that. I'm all for it. So, you know, thinking about it that way, stressing to my counterparts, you know, this, me saying that this is problematic is a, is a point of accountability. It's not me saying that you're a bad person. I am literally trying to tell you, you say that, you bring that up, they going to eat what, what what they say on Facebook. Um, they about to drag you. Okay. So like, <laughs> I'm trying to save you right now. Like think about this a different way. So really thinking about it that way, um, you know, making sure to stress that accountability is, is really an act of love and making sure to communicate to people the benefits for themselves, even for making certain decisions. Mm -hmm. Right into the point. Um, so real quick, I want I want us to, to circle back for people listening and remind them that you're running in District 7. Mm -hmm. And would you be able to share with our listeners what areas and schools are included in District 7? Yes. So if you were to, and, and the districting is a little weird. So, you know, I'll try to be very clear about this. Uh, the neighborhoods that are in District 7 would be Allentown, Arlington, Beachview, Bonaire, Carrick, uh, East Brookline, not to be confused with regular Brookline, East Brookline, Knoxville, um, Mount Oliver, Overbrook, parts of the Southside Flats, and then parts of the Southside Slopes. But the schools that are in there, this might make it a little more clear, are uh, Arlington Pre-K-8, Concord Pre-K-5, uh, Roosevelt Pre-K-5, Phillips K-5, through Carrick High School and Online Academy. So those are the schools that are in District 7. Um, so if your kids go to those schools, that would comprise District 7. That would be in District 7. Yeah, that is super interesting because it's, it's almost like there are certain neighborhoods that you would think would be in that district. Like that, Uber, which is right. Out. right. 
That's the red lining, though. We we less less. I mean, we can be real straightforward about that. Mm -hmm. Sweet comment. That's a red lining issue. Mm. The, the black neighborhood right out the middle and put it in with the Hill District and the north side. And that's what that is. So, I mean, even right. when, I, when you look at the map, there's a literal cutout of Belt Hoover and it's in a totally different district. Very odd. I definitely see it. It looked like a monkey wrench a little bit, the I, way the district like, how, how y'all do that? Like, why is this just not a, a box? <laughs> like, <I'm>, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but all the districts in this area is like that at every level, for real, for real. Like, that's, but like you said, redlining, you know what I'm saying? It's intentional, but from the school district up to congressional districts, you know what I'm saying? They all got funny shapes around here, like in this state, you know what I mean? And then people wonder why, um, you know, we have racism built into our systems, like, because all the systems are connected and, if one has it, then they all are going to have it. If the districting is racist based on where Black people live, then they can absolutely increase or decrease resources based on the district. You know what I mean? Like all those things are totally connected. Um, but yeah, like that's that's another thing that has to come up when we talk about Pittsburgh Public Schools as well, because it does a huge disservice. The district is 53% Black. And it does a huge disservice to all these children, but particularly to the black ones. Um, it, it's it's really alarming, and it it's almost getting to the point where it's very blatant. Mm -hmm. And um, we need people on the school board who are not afraid to say that. Um, people who are very clear and concise about what the problems are. You cannot address problems if you do not state them as they are. You know so. That's also something that has to be discussed when we talk about this school board race. A lot of this does have to do with equity for Black children. Mm -hmm. Why there's a whole slate called Black Women for a Better Education. You know, so it's, it's we're not just saying that because it's rhetoric or to be catchy. Like this thing is very real and, and it affects our children more than the other kids. Like it, that's just, that's the God's truth. No doubt. And that's why we wanted to have you on to, to share that. Um, one bullet point that I'm seeing on my screen from your page says centering the needs of students over politics and self-serving agendas. And I feel like that's just what you touched on, what you've been talking about for the last couple of minutes, you know, is um, the, the kids. And, and I say this, I, I actually used to work in some Pittsburgh public schools and like truancy and um, other kind of like caseworker things. And our discussions was never about the kids. You know what I mean? Every, anywhere and everywhere I go, like even in the places I'm at now, like we never talk about the kids. You know what I'm saying? There's several, several 15 other things that we talk about, but we never discussing the kids. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't know, for me, that's mind blowing. And all these spaces, people have all these concerns about schools and about education, but y'all never talking about the kids, what benefits them. You know what I mean? So yeah, I appreciate I, I was on, um, a virtual event on Saturday and the person who was standing in for my opponent, you know, made, made mention of the fact that, you know, she has access to um, like the land plots and whatnot. So when it comes to, to figuring out what to do with the empty school building, she would be great for that. I get that. I get that. <laughs> but what about these kids? Okay. Um, 
as as Sala would say, the kids can't read. Okay, like well, <laughs> right. You know, and then the kids can't do math because they can't read the math problems. Like what? Uh, what about that? Like. Right. I, I, not to say damn the school buildings. I understand that that's also part of the expenditure and the budget concern. But when you talk about putting people on the board because they have a background that is in um, housing and, and um, land use, and that should not be the priority for this, especially not now. Like we, nothing can be more important than educating the kids at this point because that's the we're failing in that area the most. No the thing, the one thing that we should be tasked with doing, we are failing the kids. Like, uh, so, and, and everything else is totally um, not even secondary. I don't know what the word is beyond secondary, third dairy, fourth dairy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's a non-factor at this point mm-hmm. if these kids can't read. If these kids can't walk into buildings with clean water, if these kids can't come into places and feel affirmed, none of that matters. None of it. You know what I mean? So anybody who's talking about, I mean, and the budget is important, but we have money. Pittsburgh Public Schools got money, okay? They're misallocating the funds. We don't need to figure out where to get more money from. We need to figure out where we're spending the money and where we're wasting it. Right. You know what I mean? And y'all, y'all, y'all hear this coming out of my voice. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm, <laughs> but that's where I am with it. Like, this is very personal to me. Mm-hmm. Like I feel personally attacked. Mm-hmm. It's really important. And I think that, you know, uh, in addition to needing to, uh, we need to do a better job at uh, succession planning and also recognizing when it's time to pivot. If we've learned anything about 2020, it's about we need to learn how to pivot and do it effectively. Um, we're not gonna get that when we have folks who don't wanna do things differently. As we haven't pivoted in PPS in 20 years. Yeah, and I think that that's really important for us to talk about and call out because oftentimes, and I appreciate my elders, I'm so thankful for the folks that have come before me. They have done things to make sure that I was afforded things growing up um, so that I could be the adult that I am today but we are slacking and not keeping our kids um, just in what, what are we, what century is this? I'm about to lose my words. Right. Are we 21st century? Right. Yeah. Like, oh, the world is moving. And our kids ain't in this region and it's, it's very problematic. And so if we don't begin to have bold conversations about the, the spaces and the systems that we are just allowing to um, operate because we've got to talk about the part of how we're allowing it to happen whether we're just being um, ignorant to it from a true sense of ignorance or we've we've given up because we're tired and all of those are um, understandable places to be in but at the end of the day Somebody got to step it up and somebody has to call it out and hope you hope it's not just one person. You hope it is a collective of us that come together to to push for um, better outcomes for our young people. But sometimes, I, like you said, it does it, it does have behind the. Um, the politics of it and the agendas that people have. Um, yeah. You know, I don't want to be, I don't, you know, I want to keep this episode um, 
you know focused focused yeah but when I when I see people who um who who can't even uh acknowledge that there's other people out here that are about the work and just because maybe you're a former educator or you used to work here that you know what's best isn't the way we're going to move forward you're in the way you're in the way and I, I I told like knocking on doors I told the parents this I said listen if there was a better person to run if there was a better person running at the moment I would sit down mm. but at the moment my love no there's not with what you have placed in front of you it's me y'all need me especially out of the the, the options that you have I'm not quiet about things. I cannot be controlled. There is no, I mean, the battery in my back is the people. That's, that's the battery that's in my back is not one person. It's not one agenda. It is a collective voice. And even with running for school board, like when we talk about knocking doors, there's generally like, um, there's a strategy to it, right? People look up the super voters. Super voters are people who have voted, you know, three, four, five times in the, in the last couple of primaries, right? No, if you're registered to vote, I'm knocking on your door, especially if you live in Mount Oliver, especially if you live in Arlington Heights, especially if you live in places where you might not otherwise have a reason to vote. Let me give you a reason, okay? Because they're not, they're not engaging you. They don't think that you're important. They don't think you're important enough to knock on your door, but I'm telling you, you are, and I need you to come out here. Like I need you right now. You know, and sometimes that's all people need to hear is I need you. Like I, I need you to show up for me. And I think that that's an important part of engaging families as well. When we talk about a school board, it is also part of your job to engage families. Like families need to be a part of these conversations. Mm -hmm. You're out here making votes and decisions on behalf of people who you haven't even spoken to, right? And it almost goes into a savior complex. You telling them what they need. They mm -hmm. should be telling you what they need. Mm -hmm. You out here telling them what's good for them, but you never even ask them what they want. Talk, talk. That's it. That's it. It that it's the savior complex, and it's also, and I say I say this all the time, just you know, from a Wilkinsburg perspective, y'all gotta quit voting for Miss Sally because you knew her all your life. Miss Sally might not be doing what you need, what you need to be done in your community, like. Talking about raising your taxes. Yes, and I want you made a point about you go to the you. You want the community to show up for you because you are here showing up for the community. Mm -hmm. I wanted to add that part too because it's so important I, I that you like show up. I'm the bridge. I yeah. feel like my role is to be the bridge between the community and the families and the district in both directions, right? If the district feels like they need community input, cool. It'll be my role to go out to the community and get that input. If the community feels like I mean, and this can go either way. If they want to share best practices or things that they feel like are going well and they want to keep, or if they feel like there are things that are not going well, they want to adjust. I feel like it is my duty to take that to the board and to the district, right? So really just being this bridge between the two, uh, that's, that's all, that's I'm, what y'all need. Y'all tell me what y'all need. And that's what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm not here to tell you what you should be doing. I'm not here to tell you where you should send your kids to school. I'm not here to, I'm not doing any of that. Mm -hmm. I can give you suggestions. I can tell you about other things that have worked for other people. But at the end of the day, parents and families have to make the best decisions for their families. They know what they need and what they want. 
I feel like my role is to take that to the board and to the district and to advocate for what they're asking for. That's it. So. Yeah. Engaging, empowering families. You know what I mean? Like, that part, right there. Mm -hmm. So, I, did I cut you off? I'm sorry. Mm -mm. I wanted to, I wanted to get into a question because I feel like, you know, um, we, you and I, we discuss this all the time when we talk about public schools, mm -hmm. charter schools, mm -hmm. and um, parochial schools, and um, you know, everyone has their own perspectives. I've got mine when it comes to charter schools. And, you know, I typically have the most, um, I have the most critique from a state level um, perspective, uh, because I think that the way our funding system is currently set up, it creates um, an atmosphere where we have the schools fighting each other instead of the people who want to give their kids a good education, holding the money accountable where it's coming from and making sure that it is being, um, as we've been saying, dispersed equitably, not equally, equitably. Yep. And so um, I know you, you don't shy away from talking about your personal experience as a parent of a student uh, living in the Pittsburgh Public School District. So I want to kind of just open that up to allow you to share um, your perspective, your reasonings, not even your reasoning, but where you're at and how you operate as a mom and making the decisions that you need to make for your kids. So I send my kids to a charter school, a public charter, right? And let's, let's just say that very clearly, it is a public charter, it is part of Pittsburgh public schools, because people might lead you to believe that charter schools are not part of the district, but they absolutely are. So <laughs> I send my kids to charter school because the charter school that I send my kids to um, is rooted in Black-centered learning, right? For me, that is very important in an anti-Black world. My kids have to be rooted in their Blackness before they go out into a world that will try to diminish them just based on their Blackness, right? Um, that enrichment part, that cultural part has proven to be um, almost paramount to the success of kids, right? Kids, not, they're not going to learn from you if they can't trust you, right? If they don't see themselves, if they're not affirmed, it's going to be very hard for them to learn. With our district, when we talk about the budget, um, when we talk about charter schools, the board has to approve the charter schools that come into the district, right? There, there is an office of charter schools in Pittsburgh Public Schools. There's accountability. It needs to be enforced. I think that everything that is a part of the district needs accountability, including charter schools. People will kind of get up here and be like, oh, she's pro charters. I'm pro my charter school because I love my charter school. Like I, I love what it's doing for my kids. But I think accountability is due everywhere like there's charter schools in the district that aren't doing any better than some of our failing schools accountability needs to be had you know what I mean so I'm I'm anything that serves kids and families I'm all the way for it and if it doesn't then I'm not so that's really where I stand on the charter school thing and I actually had a I had a conversation with the principal of Concord up here in district seven and when we talked and she talked about all of the ways 
that um, she had improved the school in regard to cultural supports, um, in regard to families who have English as a second language. Um, and just, again, affirming the kids, opening up the doors to them in regard to uh, STEM and STEAM curriculum. I told her flat out, I said, I don't, you know, my feeder school was Roosevelt. I knew I wasn't sending my kids to Roosevelt, but if I had spoken to you, I may have chosen differently. I would ideally like to send my kids up the street for school. That's part of the reason I'm running for school board. When my kids get to middle school, I need for my school down the street to be the school that I choose. Like I want to choose my school down the street. I want it to be my first school of choice. And I want that for all of our families, right? So it's not about, uh, you know, the charter school versus public, like traditional public, that's not what it is. We need to allow parents to make the best decisions for their families. We do not talk back. And it seems like it's only black parents that get flack about this, okay? Because we say nothing to parents who move outside of the district for better schools. We say nothing about parents who send their kids to private schools. We say nothing about parents who send their kids to magnet schools because magnet schools and charters are not very different when it comes to what they're providing to the students. We only kind of get on black parents when they decide to send their kids to charters, right? So we might need to check ourselves on that. Not us on this call, but all of us as a whole, right? Um, and be careful when people spit rhetoric about charter schools and anti charter There's no anti, nothing should be stark black and white. All these things have gray areas. All these things, because families are different, family needs are different. I think we need to make sure that we have space for whatever our families need. My kids, and oh, y'all, I don't know how much time we have or how much. So I had a conversation again on Saturday. And, you know, there are a lot of well-meaning white folks, you know, who want to talk about um, like just equity in the schools. And, and I think that a lot of the times people who don't really deal in the work confuse equity and equality a lot of the time. It's getting dark. Um, but they were talking about the integration of schools. And I really, 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 really wanted to talk about the fact that a lot of Black folks feel like integration was a trap. Um, Okay, now let's let's just get into this. Okay, listen, this is Black political millennials, so let's have this. Clear. I want to be very clear when I say this. Again, I send my kids to a school that is is rooted in Blackness for a reason. There are communities of people, like Jewish families, who have their schools where they they have to be rooted in self first especially in a society that is male, pale, and stale, okay? The standard is white maleness. That's, that's the standard, right? And everything else is considered other. In a society like that, you have to be rooted in self if you do not fit in that male, white, cisgendered space. Anybody who has any cultural difference, any religious difference, if you're going to walk proudly in that, you're gonna to have to be rooted in that before you go out into this world as is. Yeah. Integration, when schools were integrated back in the 60s, some people would make the argument that it was just a way to monitor what black folks were doing. Mm -hmm. If you put them into the schools, now we can watch how far they get. We can watch what they're doing and what they're learning. We can monitor, right? We can observe. People feel like that. Like that's an argument that people will make to you. 
And to be quite honest, after integration, there were a lot of backslides for Black people. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not a far-fetched argument to make. Not. So even when we talk about Pittsburgh Public Schools, a district that's 53% Black, but none of our schools are traditional public schools, center Black history or Black education. What? You cannot fault a parent for choosing something else. Not at all. Sometimes you got to look at it like a business, right? If you want the customers, you're going to have to appease your customers. Like, what are you doing for customer acquisition? How are you getting people to stay in the district? Are you meeting their needs? Y'all need some customer satisfaction surveys? Because you might. Right. That might be the only way people understand this, the severity of it if you put it like that. I mean, and that's a shame. There's a whole A-plus schools report that comes out and just literally states the facts. And then it becomes controversial because it is stating the facts, even down to the teachers and their lack of interest in the schools that they're educating at. I mean, at the end of the day, we ain't talking about something that's just far-fetched. These are, this is data. This is yeah. information that is tracked every single year. I read that report every single year and I'd be like, can they include my two schools? I mean, I know we're not PPS, but I'm trying to get A plus schools in the Wolfsburg a little bit so that they can help us out. I mean, and I know people like, they like numbers. People like numbers and data. The data will show you. The data shows you. The data shows the trend. Mm -hmm. As a board member, what I would like to do is for us to center the people we have. Center Black education. Center, yeah, and there was actually a question on one of the surveys about um, covering more in depth the Jewish Holocaust. Why not? It happened. This is right. history, it's a fact. And I think that any group of people who have ever been disenfranchised or targeted in these United States of America should have space in the curriculum for their culture. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of propaganda that, again, speaks to uh, jargon, it speaks to, uh, I don't wanna say folklore, what's the word I'm thinking about? Um, it's a lot of opinion-based things, but we need fact and we need history in the books. Right. A lot of adults grow up and move throughout the world and say, I never learned that in my history books. Okay, we need to, that needs to not even be the case anymore. We need to make sure to put all this stuff in the curriculum. Our students should be learning facts, all the facts though, not some of the facts, not edited history. Right. All of the history. Select this. Select this history. You know, we don't need that. We <laughs> we need the whole story. If we had the whole story, we probably would have more empathetic people in the world. We probably would have a lot more equity if people really just knew the truth, right? So yeah, we might be going off the handle. So I'm, I'm gonna dial it back. No, because no, you saying that made me think about what's our girl um, on Peacock, Jessica. What's her last name? Uh, what? No, Amber Ruffin. Amber. Look, I look, Amber Ruffin. Mm -hmm. So Amber Ruffin does a, a segment on her show um, called How Did We Get Here? And one of her episodes was over Black History Month. And she was based, it was one of her jokes about like, why don't we have a white history month? And she was like, well, we should have a white history month. And she started talking about the, I can't, re I can't recall what the name is, but the women that were um, associated with the KKK. I can't remember mm -hmm. what the name is, but how they were um, pivotal in creating the curriculum for our public school systems, which intentionally left out the truth because the narrative 
it was intentional that they wanted to create a narrative that what really went down didn't go down. Mm -hmm. And so to that point, um, these, look, I, we could talk about this all day. I mean, at some point we can probably talk about how it still happens right now at this very moment. Yes, so, it is. Yes, it is. And you so, know, it's like, this, this is, yeah, this is a real thing that happens. People think everything is a conspiracy. Conspiracies are generally based in some type of truth. Um, mm -hmm. It can't always be, you know, we can't always present a folder of evidence to you, but there's a lot of correlation, a lot of correlation to these things. And, you know, at the very least, entertain the thought of doing something radically different. If it's the, if that's the case, right? If that's not true, okay, well, let's see what happens when we flip this on its head. Mm -hmm. You know, so you know, that's really what what I'm looking to do. Let's let's try this out. I mean, honestly, let's take it back a little bit to charter schools. If we want to see how it works, we can experiment in our charter schools, which is what charter schools were for. They were to kind of try out new ways of learning, see how it works, see and what then implement it. And then implement it. Oh no more. Listen, and and these are the these are the real conversations that we need to have. That's why I always bring it back when we talk about this fight that happens. That stuff starts at the state level, which adds another level of the systemic problems that we have because they just stay up there and just keep making the rules how they are because <laughs> I wanted to add to the point about um, Pittsburgh Public Schools having a, a department for charter schools, but we also got to add to that that when the, the school district says no, people could just go to the state and get a yes. Yep. So there's that part too, and then that's where the accountability of the charter schools has to come in, and who's the one who is going to be responsible to make sure that that happens. So well, our charters in like I'm, there's no reason why this can't be a partnership because good charters will want to work with the district. Yep, they just will. So and our, our charters to work with them. That's the other part. That's that's the main part. Mm -hmm. The main part is that the district has to again put 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 the rhetoric down, all of this anti far left, far right, and really think about what's in the best interest of the students. Again, charter schools were put in place in order to do some of that experimental learning to see what might work. When you look at charters who do well, who have great outcomes for students, we need to pull them in and say, okay, what worked for you? Right. What worked for you? Can we bring that into our curriculum into, you know, this school, that school that has similar demographics that that's supposed to be the relationship between charters and traditional schools. Mm -hmm. and, and if you have charters who aren't producing good outcomes, they don't need to be there. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Also, part of the role of the district is, yes, to hold the schools accountable, like the charters that are in the district. But also, I mean, listen, the same way we mobilize for everything else, we have to mobilize to the state. If this is not working for us, and again, good charters will want to be a part of the movement. Good charters will want the same things mm -hmm. because they don't lose. They don't lose out. You know what I mean? If anything, it, it provides a stronger environment for them to educate the students. No doubt. Whew. Well, no you know, this was good talk tonight. I'm just, Summer would say, Ashley, you and that school board. I'm like, you know. Um, do you have anything that you want to make sure you know you share about this race and you know why you're here you know and why this is so important you know I want to make sure you can share as much as you can for the folks that listen because we non-traditional over here right I mean I don't think that there's anything we didn't necessarily cover I would just reiterate kind of those those main points um 
all of the priorities that I have, the main ones, you know, creating those pipelines, I already have the connections and the bridges to do that. Advocating for families and empowering them, that's work that I've already done, tried and true, right? I'm ready to do that. Um, I'm a parent and I have that perspective to bring to the board. Uh, and again, I, I occupy this space in the middle where it's like I can see both sides and I can be this like communicator in the middle that makes sure that we all get our needs met. So that's really where I am with this. Um, I really just want us to be happy and whole as a society. Like I just, you know, it's, it's, I see my life 30 years from now and, you know, I'm a 60 something year old lady and I'm watching the kids, you know, fly drones and build drones. I don't know, build buggies. And I don't know, just beautiful imaginative um, community centered world. Like that's what I see in my future. And I think that school board is, is where that needs to happen at this very moment. Like that's where we need to focus this attention. Period. Yeah. I see the vision. I definitely see the vision. So um, before we let you go, we always got a, a personal, personal questions that we ask our guests so that people could get a look into to them and who they are. So um, we're going to start with, um, I know everybody has a show that they may watch or been binging or they fell in love with. So um, what's on your list, Camille? What you, what you been watching or what are you watching now? What am I watching? Uh, what am I watching? I like to watch kind of eyeball stuff sometimes. I really like sci-fi. So the show that I've been watching recently is called Debris. Mm. Um, it's about like this this alien material that falls to Earth, and it's it's, it's a little. No, weird. I saw the previews for it. I know. Yeah, you're like I've been watching Debris, and again, the sci-fi in me is just there. And then all of the little Marvel miniseries. Oh, mm-hmm. love them. That man, so good. Yes, so good. That piece with um, what's his name? What what's Isaiah his Bradley? Oh my god! Yeah, yes. I. I I had a tear. tear. And not even the end though, Martel, like the episode where he's like no self-respect in black man anyway. I was like, oh, this is what we do. Like this is what happens where you have people who just been disgruntled and jaded by their terrible experiences with Mm -hmm. this country who, you know, they they have just, they have no hope in it. And you have younger people very similar to us who are like, yeah, but we could change it and we can do different. But to see those two still be able to, you know, find, um, I guess, peace in one another was just dope to me. Like that part right there was just that honoring Isaiah Bradley with the monument and, you know, just him accepting. I'm still calling him Anthony Mack, but we whatever. But, you know, (laughs) Sam. Is Mm -hmm. his name Sam? Yeah, his name's Sam. Yeah, you know, so... I just, it just, it was so special to me. Definitely. I mean, oh, I still yes. watch Lovecraft Country on rerun over and over again. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. That's a favorite. That was show. I, I was just saying I need to rewatch that stuff. And a man, who you going to run to? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good piece right there. Um, nice question. So we, we briefly mentioned about, I think we talked about comedy, but some came up about comedy. So, uh, favorite stand-up comedian? Mm, I'm going to 
just say my fiance because we gonna do it like that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Work daily the third. Okay, it's my Fair. favorite. You better rep your man. <laughs> I know that's right. All right, uh, we got another verses coming up. I know we all been watching the verses. So, SWB or Invoke. Mm. 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 SWV. Okay. Week, week will just week. Week. It's just week. That's it. Week period. Like uh. no doubt. <laughs> nope. I feel it. That's I'm I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, what's it gonna be also just has a, a, a spot in my mind. I was like seven years old thinking I had a whole relationship. All the like, songs we used to sing, think we were grown. I've been singing now like, who did I think I was singing this song? <laughs> I can't pretend, okay? We be in the cafeteria, you don't even speak to me. Like, I was just listening to my little secret. I was like, why was I listening to this? Inappropriate. That was my song. No, listen, in, in vogue, that what's it gonna be? I swear I used to be having just sitting there on a porch, like, dang. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> oh, man. So, you got, are, I, Bless, I like, did you miss a question or are you good? Uh, this has got one more. Okay. Last one. All right. If you could make a dream song with your favorite producer slash composer, okay. rapper, and singer, who would be on that? Hmm. I want to say Swiss Beats. Mm-hmm. I have to default. I have to default to Jay. This song probably exists though. Um, <laughs> so Swiss Beats, Jay. I don't know if I have a favorite singer, y'all. Um, singer, singer, singer. Let's let's go with my favorite singer right now is her. So we'll go with her. Mm. Now that's a good one. I like a nice jam right there. Yeah. I like that. Well, uh, thank you so much for participating in our lightning round. Um <laughs> <laughs> can you let everybody know where they can find you out online? You know? Yes. yes. So um specifically for the school board race, you can visit my website and that's at Camille for pps.com. So that's K-H-A-M-I-L-F-O-R-P-P-S.com. Um, you can also find the campaign page on Facebook at Camille Scantling for PPS. Um, and Twitter, I had to change my Twitter name to be more like politic friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's at Camille Scant. Uh, K-H-A-M-I-L-S-C-A-N-T. I think that's everything. Um, and your businesses. Okay. Oh, Lord. All right. So Cocopreneur, you can find on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at C-O-C-O-A-P-R-E-N-E-U-R-P-G-H. Um, the website is Cocopreneur.com. Greenwood Week, which we will do. Programming begins for Greenwood Week, uh, June 10th, June 19th. Um, and that can be found at greenwoodweekpgh.com. Same thing for the social media handles. Did I leave anything out? There's a lot of stuff, y'all. I lose track. 
Hey, if you forgot it, we'll 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 put right. it on the uh, post. Fix that now. It's a ton of things going on, but yeah. Yes, and y'all, make sure you get out to the polls on May 18th. Please do. Please catch your mail-in ballots. Make sure you get them in in enough time. They must get to the Board of Elections by May 18th. They cannot be postmarked. They need to be in the building on May 18th. So drop them a week before. Like, don't even play with it or take it down to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um Make sure you're following Black Political Millennials on Facebook, Instagram. We're on Twitter, too. We need to figure out Twitter because I'm, you know, I struggle with Twitter, but we on there. So follow us. We will be putting out our recommendations like today, sure. like right now, because we got we got them all. We've got our recommendation episode. You can check back on. I'm trying to think which episode was that? I'm about to look back. That was our March Madness episode where we did was- the recommendations. Yeah, so I'm trying to see if I can help y'all out. Maybe I can. Oh, 23. Episode 23, y'all, to get all of our recommendations for Black Political Millennials. Bellamy's in the back telling y'all to make sure you listen, too. She always got to make her uh, presence known on these episodes, so that was it. Did I forget anything, Martel? The email. I always forget the email. Um, BPM Podcast 412 at gmail.com. But um, also, we are on Anchor FM, Spotify, um, Apple Podcast, Google Play Music. Um, we're everywhere. Wherever po- podcasts are at, we there. Black Political Millennials. Thank y'all. We out. Peace. Peace.